0: Welcome to Working From The Inside Out with your host, Ellie O'Brien from Finesse Equestrian Training. Come on a journey with me as I chat to some amazing horsey people from all around the world and maybe a few of my own tips too, as I expand my consciousness and challenge my beliefs and ultimately grow as a horse person and Human being in general. (laughs) Welcome to Working From The Inside Out. Today I have with me Sabina Holler. And I am so excited to speak. We've tried to organize <laughs> a podcast in the past, but I have uh, been not so great on my timing. <laughs> but we are here today, and I'm yeah looking forward to hearing about what you do. And we were just we began chatting before I started recording. I said we have to stop <laughs> because we might get something good. So. Sabina, let's just start with what you do, your background, and what we were just beginning to talk about with correct training.
1: Yeah, sure. And thank you, Ellie. Thank you for having me. And yeah, we've been trying to do this for a while. So yeah, finally, it's happening. Yes. Um, yeah, just a little bit about my background, and I don't bore people too much um i am from germany originally but i've lived in new zealand for over 30 years now Mm. oh gosh the time flies and um i've done a uh, veterinary qualification in germany before i came over to new zealand and i also had my formative um riding training in germany before i came to new zealand so i went through the german riding system um starting with vaulting of all things mm. <laughs> when i was gosh maybe six years of age or something and then as a teenager went through the writing the, the german writing school system um and then had to stop because i couldn't afford it any longer going through uni mm. uh, which was actually really sad because in a way i wanted to be a vet because i love my animals and i love my horses and then whilst i was busily studying to be a vet i but never got to ride a horse oh. again. So that was really sad. But anyway, I came to New Zealand to do further studies and, and spent quite a few years at Massey at the vet school as a, as a researcher. Mm. Um, and then started up with horses again and managed to buy my first stallion, um, who was a Spanish stallion. And uh, did what my husband jokingly thought. Pull the wool over his eyes because <laughs> I said I oh, just I just want to have a horse to ride and I just want to have my beautiful Spanish stallion and then I'm happy <laughs> and yeah fast forward thirty years <laughs> there's a few I'm
0: more than one
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's gone it's become a full almost a full time business and my long suffering husband has supported that business all <laughs> the time which for which I am ever so thankful. Um, yeah, so that, that's one of the things that I've been doing, and uh, professionally, otherwise, following my, my veterinary degree, I spent most actually most of my time in, in uh, two aspects not not as a practicing vet, but as a um, in research and in pharmaceutical industry and in teaching. So, um and then parallel to that, my my horse passion obviously got um, continued and developed, and with that always came the passion for training horses. Mm. Um, obviously, from Germany we we put a big um, emphasis on dressage, dressage in terms of training, not what we see here competitive dressage, but dressage as being the word for, correct training for Mm. the horse to become and develop into a good saddle horse for all sorts of riding. Mm. And then over the years when I managed to, um, uh, yeah, put more time into my horses and less time into my job (laughs) as a researcher (laughs) or teacher, I then also upskilled into what's – generally known as say holistic therapies or I like to call it integrated therapies because Mm. I want to see them as integrated into the normal veterinary practice so not as an as an addition to veterinary care not as a um, instead of veterinary care so I think those modalities go together and I chose to study another three years of um, veterinary Chinese medicine or veterinary acupuncture. So, mm. well, it is Chinese medicine because it includes acupuncture, but it also includes Chinese herbal medicine and foods therapy. Mm. But all in within the Chinese medical um, framework, so to speak. Mm. And then I did a little bit of um, the, some just some short courses on massage and myofascial release. Um, and, yeah, have that that way little by little developed, a little suit of extra skills. Um, but really coming, and that's what we, mm-hmm. I think, started to talk about already before. I think over the years, I do realise that other than the passion that I have for Spanish horses and breeding those horses, my main passion really is training, correct training, to keep the horse healthy. Yes. Because in... In my practice of looking after and helping horses that have you know say musculoskeletal issues or sometimes behavioral issues as well. Mm. Um, digestive issues, there's a lot of lot of aspects to it. Sooner or later, I seem to be coming back to the same underlying topic over and over and over again and that is training Mm. so I see training as a way to not just to make sure you have a beautiful riding horse that you enjoy Mm -hmm. which is basically what you want to have but to ensure that you do that and keep the horse healthy and happy and in fact make it healthier and happier than what it was prior to being ridden. Mm. So that's probably yeah the best way at, at arriving where my passion lies.
0: That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah, I with the training, now that's that's a big goal, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> to have yeah. them happier yeah. and healthier.
1: Yes. Um I I see more and more that um one of the key um me, one of the key points of embarking on this um, journey in a correct way is to um, a to have a, at least some basic knowledge about how a horse functions. Mm. So, okay, let's let's use the. maybe the boring or the scary word, anatomy and physiology. Mm. But that's as I said, that's just either the scary or the boring word, but it is basically meaning you have to have some basic understanding about the structure that is in front of you and how that animal works, how nature designed it to work. Mm. Um, And then you need to have some theoretical knowledge of how you need to Now influence that structure so that it can become a riding horse, Mm. not just say, okay, it's got a back, so the fiddle saddle and I'll just have to desensitize it so that it lets me do that. And I, I, I do understand and it's very, very valuable, all the knowledge we have gathered over the years about learning theory and what to do and how to do that. And that's all nice and wonderful. But I always say to people to make them understand what I, what I, what it is actually that I want to the point that I want to cross, get across, is for example, if somebody would tell you to do the splits mm. and you say, Okay, you now I'll put my lo- like left leg here and I'll put my right leg here and I'll take a deep breath and I'm and I do this. And that's so nice and wonderful. And and you you understand what is required, but even with that understanding. Uh, it probably will still take you, I don't know, six months, 12 mm. months, two years to actually get all the way to the <laughs> ground to do the splits. Yes. So there's two aspects to horse training. Well, at least two aspects. And one is the fact that the horse has to understand what you ask it to do. Mm. It has to be desensitised to various stimuli so that it is not spooked, mm. but then it has to be physically able to do it. Yes. And that, I think, is something that I find with a lot of people, the knowledge of how to do that seems to be lacking a little bit or sometimes it's outright like, misunderstood. Yes. And that's one of the things that I would really like to, you know, work on and teach people and, yeah.
0: Yes, and I think you have been doing a great job. Um, in beginning that, where you've been doing some talks, um, yeah. around around these points.
1: Yeah. So what I've done. Thank you for mentioning that. Yes. Um, last or probably about this time last year, I actually started with, based on this. Uh this need that I felt was there and needed should should be met, mm. I started just here at my place to run some talks, some seminars. So I prepare little um, or short um, sessions of anywhere between an hour to an hour and a half. The odd one was two hours. Mm. And I call it actually talks. So I've, I've renovated a part of my Prior to that very old barn, <laughs> <laughs> where part of it is a horse stable, and the other is the other part now nicely renovated. Is I think we can call it either a a nice she shed or a multi-purpose tech <laughs> <pack> room. <or laughs> and it's beautiful. Yes. And I invite people um, via Facebook to come and and for for a small fee to come and uh, listen to what I have to say. Um, And I try to structure it so that there are little standalone events Mm. so that, you know, anybody can join in at any time. Uh, But also for those people that have come to the first one and have continued to come continuously, a whole picture is starting to emerge. Mm. So I started at one end of the horse and I'm going to the other end of the horse and I'm basically telling them about um, some aspects of anatomy but also biomechanics. So why has nature made the horse like that? Why are, um, say, uh, vertebrae and um, uh, ribs shaped the way they are? And mm. why are certain muscles in certain ways? Because that's what they have to do by nature. And what does the horse do by nature? But now what do we have to do? to make the horse into a riding horse. Mm. And those talks have been really, really well received. And, yeah, we have a lot of people that seem to come back um, all the time and waiting for the next slot. So I managed to keep myself quite busy having to actually generate all that material from one last to the next (laughs) to, (laughs) to keep going. But so I've done about um, three last year and I've done two this year mm. also. And the other thing that I did was um, through the summer because I tried to do a few less through the summer because obviously people are busy. Mm. Um, and I normally schedule them so that they're during the week but in the evening so people can come after work and just come for, as I said, for a brief period of time without having to commit with a whole weekend or something like that mm. um but then what I have done um for people that live further afield or those people that want to listen simply listen to it again is that after when well, I can't quite I think it was late January or so late January February that I um created a um Saturday or Saturday and a Sunday that are called an immersion day and mm. we basically lumped everything together and said, okay, I'll just download the whole lot into your brains <laughs> for a <all> whole day. <laughs> yes. And then people can come. It's, it's worthwhile driving for a little little while longer and making a whole day of it. And then I think the next day we did even something with a little bit of theory and a little bit of practice with, ah. with uh, using some horses here in the arena that I have and um so people could potentially um yeah either book in just for one day or book in for for the whole weekend and that was pretty good too people could catch up on everything that I had done um the month prior all in one for during one weekend
0: that's awesome and so do you think that with how we go about training and where it goes wrong is it that we don't really understand the correct place to start from?
1: Um, I think so. I think because nobody trains knowingly wrong. Yeah. would be totally, you know, and that's not, that's not, you're not saying, oh, bad person, you know, you've mm. done everything wrong. We all, we all try our best. Mm. We all try, um, we want the best for our horses. We all love our horses, and we want to we want to really, really try our best. And I think probably some of the I don't I'm not sure. So these are just thoughts that pop into my head. Yes. Uh, in 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 response to your question, maybe part of the reason is our um, our being so so far away from Europe. Mainly mm-hmm. from continental Europe, where I still believe some of the you know the old masters come from there. That the good whole horse trainers come from there, um, for riding horses, for riding horses off the sort of dressage type way of riding. Well, that I don't say that very well. This this does probably does comes across a bit strange. Um, okay, let's let's go. To, Back a step. When I said before dressage, so dressage, mm. the word dressage comes from the French, d- dresser, I think, and it means to dress the horse, as it put clothes on the horse. To mm. dress the horse to be a good, healthy riding horse, capable mm. of carrying a rider and probably doing manoeuvres up to today in the competition dressage world, up to medium level. Mm -hmm. And in so doing, becoming more beautiful, becoming easier to sit, easier to manoeuvre, and also going over little jumps possibly and staying healthy. That's actually the origin of the word dressage. Right. And it was... Used in that system in the Central European equitation system to basically train any horse as the good basic training from which it then could go on to maybe be a specialized dressage horse in those mm. days, centered ears above the ground that was considered specialized dressage, right? <laughs> or to become a good show jumping horse, yes. or to become a good eventing horse, or to become if we go a bit earlier in history to become a good military horse Mm. so you know but the 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 basic um, training is the same and that basic training is is concerned with turning the horse into a riding horse because it's not a riding horse by nature it's Mm. just a horse Mm. and because by nature the horse is just a horse The horse will do naturally what nature tells it to do, but that is counterproductive for when you want to be a riding horse.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. And And – sorry. Oh, you carry on.
1: No, no, you you, you give me your question.
0: (laughs) I was going to say, like, if we don't, then if we just ride them as what they do naturally in the paddock, which is – probably more downhill and on the forehand then that's where we start to see these problems arise and I guess going back to when before before I pressed record (laughs) we were talking about how it's sneaky and then we see these things manifest over time
1: yeah yeah that's exactly right Ellie because and because it it is over time, it is not something that we're immediately aware of. Mm. And the more naturally hmm, let's say talented a horse is so stay, the better the breeding or simply fluke of nature, and you've got this this wonderful horse that is so well balanced naturally, that is so well behaved as in its gates are beautiful everything nature has given it a lot of good aspects then those horses might take a little bit longer to show the first signs of of breakdown Mm. but they are there they are there right from the beginning and it will basically what the horse does it's it's a it's a world champion in compensation and it's a it's absolutely fantastic animal that finds amazing ways to compensate mm. and it finds because it's a it's a flight animal, it will never show its discomfort. When mm. it starts showing its discomfort you have the tip of the iceberg. The absolute tip of the iceberg. There is lots yes. that has already happened and we all know that having worked with problem horses over the years how yes. much is underneath the surface because in nature, if you're food instead of the predator, and you, you're the one that the predator chases, you do your darndest not to show that you're in discomfort.
0: Yes, that's right.
1: And and, and the third aspect to that is, is that the horse is also, and that's probably why it has been in the history of mankind for this long, the horse is an animal that for whatever reason by nature is beautiful and placid. And mm. wants to please. Mm. And that's why we love it so much. So they're trying, they don't say straight away, no, 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 no. I'm not doing this for you. <laughs> well, unless you're the odd chestnut mare, maybe then you realize what can happen if you don't <laughs> ask correctly, because they will find something to tell you, no, you yes. haven't done this right, you know, <laughs> unless you do it. Wrong. But the majority of horses, they will. To do their darndest their utmost mm. to to understand what you mean yes. and they will somehow make it happen and that's the problem this fact that somehow make it happen sometimes is not for the best of the horse yeah. so they will allow you to turn and twist their body into some sort of pretzel that you decide this is what it has to look <laughs> like or it will say, yes, okay, you make me go sideways, so I'll go sideways, and all you see is that the legs are crossing and you go, yeah, I got it, wonderful. But
0: <laughs> yes. you don't
1: understand what's happening in the horse's body in the process of doing this, and it might be wrong. It might be sideways, but it's still wrong. Mm. It's still not beneficial to the horse. Yes. So, yeah, and then it's depend on how often do you do it wrong, how how intensely do it you do it wrong how and that will determine how long it will take the horse to show the first signs of wear and tear yeah and depending on how bad that is and how how depending i suppose on the personality of the horse that then also often can lead to in some horses very significant behavioral issues Mm. and then we have a difficult horse. Yes. And people say, oh, it's a difficult horse. But that horse was probably way back when a very sensitive horse and a very giving horse. But because it was sent the wrong signals and it was asked to do and it might have done and then it was asked too much too soon instead of waiting and building up the whole musculoskeletal system, it might have... now be in a position where a whole lot of muscle and fascia tissue is under significant stress and strain
0: mm.
1: that might be the reason why it's now a difficult horse
0: yes i think uh, in my early days of training those are the horses that were sent to me <laughs> that had yeah. behaviors that i needed to fix <laughs> but I quickly learned it wasn't that wasn't the case (laughs) Mm. so where do you think we should begin Sabina like let's say I have a young horse that I'm just starting out under saddle or let's say even before we get to the point of putting a saddle on or maybe I've got a horse where we're at that iceberg point where I'm seeing these behavioral or physical problems are uh, beginning to show themselves. Where where do I go now?
1: Where do you go now? Yeah. So one of the things that I've tried to do mainly through my tech chat talks is to give people this, the very basic understanding about how they should start their horse. Mm-hmm. And, um, the the way so so by starting i mean obviously let's say you start with a young horse with a green horse and obviously i have um um sorry i'll just um so what we're doing is you have people like yourselves and other people that because there's a few quite a few people here in new zealand that that, that back horses for people right oh, yes and the first things first we have a different situation here in new zealand than what we would have say in europe where everybody has arenas and everything is is safe and inside you know in a very confined space and mm. and we have different conditions here in new zealand and that's absolutely okay and we have to work with what we have Mm -hmm. so the first things first is is safety so you have to have if you start backing a horse absolutely you have to do what you have to do to to get a safe horse Mm -hmm. um and we probably if people say send horses away to be backed you cannot send pay for an extra three or four or five months of that person to say lunge the horse first in preparation for being back. People would simply say, well look, I can't do that. You know, <laughs> this is just too expensive and and you wouldn't have the time and all of that. So you know we have to we have to be practical in all of that. Mm. But what we could do is by understanding then as soon as that first formative backing has uh, has finished and the horse goes back to the owner that then the owner can say okay now the horse has is now ready so that it allows me to it has been desensitized it has been trained it goes forward from the leg and it stops and it turns and, and can do all these things but now they go back to having some tools in the toolbox to be able to train this horse now correctly so that the horse itself can now Put in, and the word for it is dynamic stability. That's hmm. the that's the key operating word in yeah. all of that. So the, the the horse learns to strengthen and stabilize very very specific muscles in its core that will then enable it to be a better trainable riding horse later on.
0: Mm. That makes and sense.
1: those are a few, there are a few things that people would need to know about it and a few strategies that they can use. And lun- I've already mentioned lunging and yes. lunging is definitely a, a key strategy in that. But then also the first few months, and it could be up to six months, it can be up to a year um, of a specific way of riding, which you usually allows, for as little use of the religious just guide the horse, but not force the horse into a um into frame mm-hmm. and concentrate much more of riding the horse from back to front. Because that is always something that I seem to see a lot more here, is that we have seem to have this preoccupation with putting horses into a frame, and that mm-hmm. usually means doing some sort of manipulation of the head and neck Yes. Um, without realizing what's happening further back and what's mm. happening under the saddle and what's happening behind the saddle. And then you get a very specific way that these horses look. And so, again, in my talks, I've been trying to literally open people's eyes so they, they get to understand what muscles are important, how they can be trained, how then the horse reacts and how it looks when the horse starts to be trained better mm. and then thereby by inference also understand what a horse looks like that isn't trained like that because you get very specific um, um, patterns of where the, the backs are blocked and tied the croup looks just a little bit not right and the, the whole top line doesn't develop properly yeah. and, and also the way the head and neck
0: is carried is very different yes what are some of those signs can you give us some of those signs of what it looks like to be developed correctly as opposed to incorrectly
1: yeah so if for example let's say you lunge a horse but you have to lunge it um correctly again and in in that in so doing you have to actually develop a contact with the horse so it's not the walk uh, running around in a circle around you with a loose lunge line but there has to be a little bit of tension Mm -hmm. so it's it's a little bit like for those of you that that do dancing as in dancing with a partner it is a bit like that it's it's this this general giving giving the horse a a framework in which you mold it that's actually more what's happening Mm -hmm. so you have to and for that to happen correctly you have to first um you have to first develop this contact on the lunge and because as soon as you can do that then you can allow the horse to understand what it means to be for example on a proper circle Hmm. Because if you don't have that contact and it's always super light, you don't actually know if the horse slightly falls in or out on the circle, yes. whether it puts too much weight on one shoulder or the other. Whereas if you have that contact, then you have that feel in your hand all the time. Mm. Um. And then little by little, you have to put – actually train the horse to understand the aid so that it works from the from the hind leg over a relaxed swinging back into the front mm-hmm. and with that comes the understanding of forward what forward means that's another thing that i see over and over that people simply push horses forward And they think they have to step out large and step over big with the hind legs. And all of that, especially in the early days, is actually very wrong because what it does, it it simply gets forced to rush. Mm. And when it rushes, it falls onto its forehand even more. Yes. Because what it actually does, it chases its own balance. It's constantly sinking its it's fall, it actually constantly sinks, it falls on its nose. Mm. And then it, gets, it starts rushing, it becomes faster, and um, then what you do to slow it down, then, then you think, oh gosh, it's too fast. So then now you start to use the reins. The mm. first thing that the horse then does, if you use the reins or you use the bit in its mouth, it shortens its neck and then the very part that needs to be developed which is actually the shoulder part and the part under the saddle sinks down Mm. and then you you actually have now set the horse up for exactly the opposite to what you want to happen
0: and that is the picture we see often isn't it the hollow back and the horse pulled in its face kind of pulled in towards its uh, chest and neck and and then I guess yeah. the hind end is going out the back. <laughs>
1: oh, behind, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So what you do get is a picture of the the, the withers now sink in between the shoulder blades. That you get often quite substantial wither pockets because there's no muscles under the saddle. Mm-hmm. Then sometimes the, the back itself is down, or say the back from where the saddle sits over toward the croup is is rises up, which it shouldn't with right. the back properly trained horse it should be fairly straight. Yeah. Then the, the top of the neck, so when you were if you were to sit on the horse the part right in front of the wither is not very well developed. Mm. Usually the underneck might be more developed. And the, that that triangle in front of of muscles right in front of the it's not so well developed. Then people think, okay, well I have to somehow fiddle with a bit, do something so that the horse is on the bit. Mm-hmm. So then that, that happens, but the horse makes the whole neck quite short. And it kind of all disappears in between the shoulders a bit, mm. and then yeah, the the um, the saddle area sinks the loin area sinks, the lumbar area behind the saddle that's not well muscled and sinks. And then often the, the croup gets either slopey or flat. Right. And as you see, the hind legs are out behind. So there's mm. a lot of strides behind the horse instead of under the horse. Mm. And then if you start helping and thinking, oh yes, yeah, somehow the horse needs to be under more, then you might use some whips or something. But all the horse does it is flicks its legs up and tries to yank them under the body a bit more. But it doesn't change the whole way it holds its lumbar area and its pelvis and all of that. And that doing that is even then more damaging to the horse than not doing anything else at all. Yes. (laughs) So yeah, it's all it's all connected, unfortunately.
0: Yes, it's fascinating. And so you're saying. Um, well, am I correct in, in hearing you that um, instead of trying to push for those bigger strides early on, we let them then have their own natural smaller yeah. stride while they're building strength?
1: Yeah, so right at the beginning with a young horse, the key issue is balance. Mm. And you can't, and you might understand that very well, Ellie, if you have a toddler... <laughs> and then start to walk mm. you i don't think you would ever in a million years consider that okay let's just put him on his two little legs <laughs> and give him a massive big clap on the diaper and say run as fast as you can <laughs> and somehow you will learn to walk you wouldn't wouldn't you
0: no not at all no
1: that's right <laughs> so And the horse, even though the horse has got four legs, but he doesn't, he or she does not balance equally on those four legs. It might appear to us that they do, but they don't. Mm. So equally so, balance has to come with giving the horse time to balance itself, Mm. because balance ultimately is done by the leg that sits on the ground, not the leg that's in the air.
0: Mm. Which means muscles.
1: Yeah, you have to allow that leg enough ground time. So not chase it up to flick up quickly and leave the ground quickly. You'll have massive gates or something. You have to actually allow it to to contact the ground and take the weight and then allow the horse enough time to balance its body over said leg Mm. in whatever way you want it to go, whether that's on a curved line or a straight line or doing something in the arena so um so the first thing you do with a young horse is you you just let it walk or trot in whatever speed it likes to do so yes till it can at least negotiate a half pie straight okay let's say we have a 20 by 60 arena uh just just big along the long side, through a short side, along and by the long side, go through the diagonal, do these very simple arena patterns and just let it do its thing. And all you do is with your reins, you give a general direction, but then you let it do and you just try to make sure that it develops a rhythm
0: Mm. in
1: its own speed. Okay, if you've got a really lazy horse, you might have to, you know, just ask it at Mm. least to give it a trot but don't say okay let's go you know quick pull it into the right all of that no 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 you don't do that Mm. because you just have a very very gentle contact with the mouse just to say okay right a bit left a bit maybe straight a bit and then you let it go you let it go you put your body on in the direction you want to travel so that you don't impede the horse with your own balance issues so you need to be nice and balanced in the direction you want to go and then you let the horse find its own balance mm. and you know when that has happened is when the horse has developed rhythm because rhythm is a sign of balance every time the horse loses its rhythm it's because it's out of balance yes <laughs> when we see that or when you think about it, it it makes sense i think yes so and once, once you can do that, say in the trot, once the horse has got a rhythm in the trot with these simple 20-metre circles and, and straight lines that we all do in a pre prelim test or something, that mm. sort of stuff, then you can say, okay, now I push a bit,
0: mm-hmm. now
1: I push a bit, But, and this is the big but, and this is, I think, one of the key things that some people don't understand, because the ultimate goal is to to get the horse to to close its body from behind, not by shortening the neck. Yes. You push to just go a little bit faster, but only a little bit, just Mm. to create a little bit more energy, but don't run away. So Mm. it's a push to collect almost and not a push to go fast. Yes. And then you gradually get this, this is more a learning thing. This is a combination of learning for the horse and, and to learn and understand and aid as well as be physically able to do it so that if you close your legs and you push, you have to gradually start to feel that there is more energy coming from the hind legs, over the back, under your saddle, mm. into the neck, and into your bits, and then ultimately the neck actually concertinas out from from in front of the saddle, from in front of out outside of the shoulder blades becomes longer mm. into your hands. So the top line of the neck elongates into your hand. Yes. Because all that area in front of you lifts up and Out. over into your hands. And mm. that's more trying to, yeah, I'm trying to explain a feel, which uh, sometimes <laughs> isn't always that, easy. But that And that's something that you cannot rush because it's to do with muscle um conditioning of the horse it's Mm. the horse in the process of being able to do that basically undergoes a a yoga or pilates training yes and that doesn't happen overnight no it happens over weeks over months but in order to do so you have to be patient and you have to ask the right questions and wait for the right answers and don't get impatient and then just grab the reins and the bit and go, oh let just do it now. You know, i wheel you into into spot into the spot. Yes. Because if you do, you create too much contact, mm. wrong contact, and the horse will then need the bit as a fifth leg, so to speak. Mm. Yes, like, to because balance. It can't balance itself. Yes. It's on the forehand. And then the problem is, it's not that so if you had an older horse now that has been ridden like that, it's not, the problem is not that you can't get them back, but the longer they have been ridden like that, the harder it is to fix them mm-hmm. because you're fixing two things. You're fixing muscles and fascia that have been stuck in a way for a long time. Mm-hmm. So you have to loosen them all up and you have to strengthen the right bits underneath you have to keep loosening the, the the tense bits and strengthening the weak bits. Yeah. But you also know, I'm fighting against a very very long time training memory that processes.
0: Right? Mm. So that's tricky. It will offer you
1: the wrong answer, even if you give it the right aids. Yes. So you have to. It's like uh, what you call in computer speak. You have to wipe that hard disk clean and put a whole lot of new information, new software in. And that doesn't happen overnight either. And sometimes in some horses, it never happens 100%. Yeah. You always, every day, have that little bit of memory left that...
0: They'll offer you. Mm. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yes, so we're much better to be patient and yep. do it right from the start than end up a year or two down the track going, Oh, no.
1: <laughs> mm. okay. That's exactly right. And the thing is um, we know that the the wrong kind of training, uh, how shall I say that, we, we, we can almost predict where the horse will have issues yeah. musculoskeletally, where the horse will have issues. So there are reasons why horses go in the suspensory ligaments and the in the superficial digital flexor tendons, while they have um, hoof problems, while they have hock problems later on, while they have mm. pelvis problems, sacroiliac issues. Yes, okay, in the worst case scenario, it's it can be simply an accident, especially with our horses here. They slip in the paddock, it's muddy, yes. you know, they, they're hanging around, they slip. Although, if you'd be really really yeah you could almost say this might be a bit controversial but you could almost say because you say the same with people if people have the um proper training the proper core strengths the proper dynamic strengths in their movement they Mm. are less accident prone because even when you slip you will find the right balance to put yourself back into place. Mm. And the same goes for the horse. Mm -hmm. So if you have a very accident-prone horse that always ends up slipping and everything, it could well be that there is an issue with its core stability and its dynamic stability.
0: Yes, so that's a great opportunity if we have an accident-prone, accident-prone, quote-unquote, horse. Uh, to yeah. to start asking questions and and yep. maybe look at the greater picture rather than just the sneaky little accident prone horse <laughs> over here oh, that's, right. that's right yeah that's great <laughs> mm, so then where to from there where to from there yes good question
1: I mean again i try to that's why that's why i ended up with my putting putting together these texture talks because i thought well i'm going and seeing horses and and helping people with their horses because they have with acupuncture and my facial release and and just general body work but i thought well sooner or later something you you're the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff Yes. And I'd like to not be the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff. I'd like there to be a big stop sign at the top of the cliff. <laughs> <laughs> then, you know, you, you don't end up having to pick up the horses at the bo- at the bottom of the cliff because they, they won't even need to fall. Mm. But ultimately that, I, well, for me, the best way to do that is by education, by educating people, by, by showing them what is what they should do by showing them pictures of what it looks like when it's done wrong and showing them pictures of what it looks like when it's done right. Yeah. And then giving them the um yeah, I mean for those ones that are specifically interested that you can through my through my talks you can get a lot of information about the anatomy and, and the biomechanics, why that is and why in fact Actually, the old masters there were right. You know, we don't need to reinvent reinvent the wheel. The wheel with our training. There are what, what we find out with science, and you know, we have equitation science, and and some amazing people out there doing research and finding out all these things. But usually, what they find out is that the old masters were right. More yes. often than not, they're not finding out new things. We're just finding out with modern technology we can describe better mm. why what was done way back when was actually it really, really good. Yes. and ultimately, there are no shortcuts. You know, anything to do with horses and horse training, there are no shortcuts. Mm. There might be something that you hadn't thought about because there are a million little details. It is very complex, not complicated, just complex. complex. Mm. There's a million little details. Lots of My riding teacher always said to me, no, no, riding is easy. You just need to do the one thing at the right time. <laughs> but knowing which that one right thing that's <laughs> <laughs> the trick, <laughs> and, and that time when then you need to do the other thing at the right time might be a split second later. So mm-hmm. you have to sometimes be very quick. Yes, <laughs> or sometimes you have to be very quick at not doing anything and then quickly do the right thing again. And it's like it's like little adjustments you need to do. It's almost like having this 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 bowl of porridge that somebody flips over on the table and you just got your two hands to make sure that that mass of porridge on your table stays in a nice square shape so you do a little <laughs> bit from the left mm-hmm. a little bit from the, oh no push a bit no no hold a bit no push a bit oh no suck it all up no a no, bit on the left but all right oh no push a bit no so that's basically what you do on the horse when you ride yeah so you try to do all that without anybody seeing that you're actually doing anything
0: it's happening all the time and I guess I mean we are doing that all the time as we go about our day as we go about Mm -hmm. running or walking but we've done it so much since we were that little toddler that we don't have to think about it anymore and I guess that with riding the more we do it and the more we educate ourselves um, and then put it into practice I guess it just becomes second nature over yeah, time. Yeah,
1: that, that's, that's a very, very good point. And the, you become – the. I think people that are effective with horses – they are effective and they become good with horses because certain reactions become second nature. They, mm. they are automatic. You don't have to think about it anymore. Mm. Because as, as long as you still have to think about simply everything you do with mm. the horse, you by definition will be too late because the horse is such a quick reacting animal. Yes. Again, I, I am reminded of something that my teacher told me many years ago when she sort of laughed was the first stallion that I had who was a very hot horse and he said, "You're too slow, Sabina. He's already on the stage number six. You're still fixing number one. <laughs> you just stop." I thought, "Okay, great." <laughs> but you know, you 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 are learning. If we're all learning all the time. Mm. And we should never stop learning. And every horse that we deal with will teach us something new.
0: Yes, yes, that has been. I love um, every time I have client horses, come or, or the horse that finds me. I, I always learn so much from all of them.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely.
0: Mm. And I mean,
1: sometimes, especially when you, I often think, sometimes, especially when you're still learning, it's actually nice if you have a slightly more yeah slower is not the right word you know you have one of those relaxed horses that that isn't too quick on its feet so you think oh yeah and then you do a lot of walk and that's actually good Mm. because that gives you as a person more time to think Mm. and more time to just be and more time to just relax and Mm. to observe what's happening in front of you if you have one of these busybodies, you have to be very much on your toes yes. without becoming a busybody yourself. In your mind, yeah, you in terms of what tool out of your toolbox to use next, you have to be very, very busy and very onto it. Mm-hmm. But in your energy levels, you have to be very relaxed. And, yeah, it's it's not easy if you have one of those horses.
0: Yeah, that takes a, so, a lot. Mm. Mm. A forgiving horse. (laughs) A
1: forgiving horse, that's right. That's right. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I keep thinking if if we get at least, you know, more, every every person that that I get coming through that comes back to me and says, oh my gosh, I, I really realized something now. And I can really see now what I need to look for in the way my horse is going. And yeah. I can feel it and I can, yeah, I can see it when I create it on the lunge. I mean, I'm I'm a great uh, believer in lunging horses because mm. it's good for the horse, for its development, so it can strengthen um, and stabilise, so again, the, the operative word here, mm. in front of your eyes. So you, mm. you can see what happens. You can see what goes wrong if somebody tells you what to look for. And you can see what happens correctly, provided somebody tells you what to look for. Yes. Then the horse gets to strengthen strengthen prior to the rider hopping on board. Mm. So then when you get to hop on board, the horse at least has got some strengths already developed to be able to deal with you as a rider a
0: lot better yeah I think um it was making me think about a horse that I started and I took I had the luxury well one of having the skills to start him myself but I spent probably around a year on the ground and doing lunging and different groundwork exercises and so by the time it came time to me being on his back he was so beautifully balanced and he everything just happened so easily yeah. and so much so that that first year of him being under saddle, uh, he went out and won a uh, dressage championship. Oh and <laughs> I think it was because we had that whole year before I even sat on him of developing all the muscles and the relationship that we needed to to do the riding part well. And then it was interesting because not thinking, uh, after turning him out, I didn't put the same amount of time into building the muscle up again on the ground before I hopped back on. Because oh well we, we already know all the things on the ground so now I'm just gonna hop on and do the riding thing because that's where we were up to last time <laughs> and it didn't happen as beautifully because we didn't have the strength
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah that's a very very good example absolutely
0: yes yeah. I caught myself out and <laughs> done <Darn> it <laughs>
1: Oh, wow, I mean, that way you've got a perfect example. And you because you felt it both ways, that that is an amazing experience then too, that you've gathered, oh, what can happen? Rather than, you know, sometimes it's a typical thing. Somebody tells you, oh, do it this way, but don't do it that way. It's like the kids, don't don't touch the hot plate. Yeah, well, you want to make that experience. You want to have the experience. And then you really learn from experience what it feels like when you have that well prepared horse versus the not so well prepared horse
0: yes and hopefully we can catch ourselves before we're too far along and and come back
1: yeah (laughs) Yeah, that's right but so i mean again what what are the key what are the key indicators um i usually go with again getting back to lunging um seeing that a horse can lunge with contact and and has developed rhythm. Mm. Again, the rhythm is the key indicator that that the horse has found its balance on a large um, bent line, round about a 20, 18, 20-metre circle. With a young horse, I wouldn't try to to lunge it any tighter because there's other problems that you put it in Mm. Uh, if you do that. And then the same goes um, that it can do some basic transitions well, and, and again stays towards that rhythm um, mm. because that tells you that the horse is in balance. Then that the horse starts to stretch with its neck. Doesn't have to be on the ground. In fact, it shouldn't be totally on the ground. It should just be open with an open neck. So not that the neck doesn't go shorter because you will see with a lot of young horses on the lunge especially when you push them into the first trot. It's a flight gate, so they Mm. won't tense their backs and the neck will come up. Mm -hmm. And yet they actually have to develop the ability to go around on a circle in a nice rhythmical trot with the neck out and relaxed. Mm. And then the next thing is the back starts to swing. Mm. upwards slightly upwards it's like an oscillation that goes through the back and that is a very very good sign once you get once you get that and then you start to see when you do some downward transition specifically that they really step under in the downward transition with a loose relaxed back. Mm. Those are the horses that are properly prepared to then be able to take a rider. Because if you don't do that, they don't know by nature how to do that. Because there's nothing natural about that. This is all man-made, yeah, but man-made in a good way. Man-made to prepare them for riding. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you don't do that, the horse's reaction more often than not is, is to tense to back up mm-hmm. when the saddle comes on because it's a weight, and then they tense a bit more because the rider hops on because it's a weight. Yes, and with that tensing, they then can't untense. It's really hard. How can they? Mm. Because they haven't got the strengths to what is going to take over. Mm. So usually what happens, and people are the same, you have um, tension patterns in your in your body because you're protecting something else. So it's and not then the sore part. If you go to your human body worker, to release the tension again that's all nice and wonderful but usually if the body worker is good and knowledgeable they will find the weak part mm. and say okay you are tense here because that tension protects something over there so the bit over there the weak part is the one that has to be built up yeah. or corrected or uh, need some therapy, something mm. you know could be various reasons, but you can't just go and work on a horse or a person at a tension area and release that tension and then go, Yeah, here you go. Because <laughs> you will just walk home, and on your way home, it probably will come back. <laughs> yes, strengths and the weak part,
0: the pattern, mm.
1: and so the same goes with the horse. So if you just take the totally green horse you destensitize it. you throw a saddle on the head will come up the neck will shorten backwards the the trunk will disappear between the shoulder blades the back will tense the back muscles will tense and yes. that's the way the horse now has learned to walk around
0: yeah it, it's interesting my um sister and i got a beautiful brood mare uh, some years ago and we would watch her in the paddock and Oh, her movement was just stunning. And then we we searched up her history, her competition history, and she only ever did very average. And we were like, that doesn't make sense. Like, she's just, she moves so beautifully. Like, why? It doesn't match up. And long story short, she didn't get in full, and we decided to bring her into work. And as soon as that saddle touched her back... All that movement went away. She had this short, like mincy movement, and we were like, uh-huh. aha <laughs> there, there is the problem." Yeah, yeah. Mm.
1: And I mean, with um, with I would say with most <clears throat> young horses, unless maybe there's are some of those beautifully bred super horses. Mm. When you see them trot in the paddock and they show themselves off at their best and then you bring them uh, into work and under saddle that movement will disappear Mm. for a while Mm. and that's got nothing to do with a horse not having the movement it's just simply you have to bring it back you have to that's and that's exactly what training is about and that's what stress is about so Mm. we come full circle now it's to to make sure the horse can be as beautiful or even more beautiful than nature has made it in its paces. Yes. With the rider. But that's the rider's responsibility and the trainer's responsibility to, to ask the horse the right questions and to give the horse the time, the correct time and the right type of training and the right type of exercises.
0: Mm. for
1: its age so that its whole musculoskeletal system can, can, can develop properly so that the horse can do these things. Mm. And with, again, with the old masters, with old dressage, old-fashioned dressage training, it was always about not doing 15 steps on the spot or, I don't know, nine tempi changes or something, It was about the quality of those movements so it Mm. was all about improving the quality of the basic gait so the walk becomes even better the trot becomes even more expressive or softer the canter is even more uphill and even more sitting Mm. and the horse is more beautiful we take the saddle off and the horse is more beautiful and better developed now, not you take the saddle off and you go, "Oh, that back looks a bit weird, but never mind, it's a riding horse, you know. It yes. shouldn't be like that. Mm. It shouldn't be like that. Yeah. And, I mean, I really hope that with, you know, the little bit of information that I'm putting out there that, yeah, some more people will start to understand what to look for and then hopefully we see more and more. Healthily trained
0: horses. Yes, that's right. I was thinking, um, as you know, I've um, created the Atlas Massager. And so with this discussion, why do you think we are finding so many horses that are having issues in that area?
1: Well, (laughs) that uh, can of worms. Well, I mean, I have the whole when I started my my tax shed talks. I thought, okay, I'll start at the top and, and we'll just do a talk on the back, and then the talk on the back, as in, you know, everything from the top of the neck to the butt. Yes. Ended up being five different lectures. You know, just how much information was in there, and you wouldn't believe it. There was one whole lecture just on the pole.
0: Ah, wow.
1: Yeah, that's right. Because that is such an important area. Because it's yes. also a very delicate area, with which naturally has very specific ways of moving and and bending and flexing. Mm. Um. But it also is being used and, unfortunately, abused. Um, and I'm only s- saying that in terms of, you know, I think due to ne- lack of knowledge, not due to yes. wanting to be mean to your horse. Yeah. But I think with this overzealous wanting to put the horse on the beat, mm. things happen to that area mm. that, of course, the horse literally headaches literally mm. headaches
0: mm.
1: because that t- uh, area gets manipulated via reins and beats very easily because it's so fragile mm. um and it gets manipulated via reins and necks and uh, reins and bits when it should be more manipulated via putting the body of the horse in the right position and then that Part, the pole puts itself automatically in the right position yes. without using hands and reins too much. Yeah, And um, the other thing is too because of the type of muscles that sit in this area that nature aren't, haven't designed to be used in a static way and static way of muscles is basically when they have to set themselves in a certain way and then stay there, which mm. is... Your horse on the bed. Mm. It stays there for yes. sometimes 45 minutes, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, and those short muscles at the pole, nature has not designed to do that. They mm. are they are dynamic muscles, so they're designed to contract and release, and contract and release, and contract and mm. release, which the horse uses for um eating ripping the grass off. So neck is long and the horse goes rip, 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 and it goes left and goes right, and it goes left and it goes right. So that's what these muscles are there for. They're designed for the horse to be on the bit for 20, 30, 40 minutes. So again, the horse fatigues very, very easily in that area. Mm -hmm. And it takes long, patient training with a lot of breaks and mm. letting the reins out and letting the horse stretch for this area to be trained correctly. Yes. So, what does a horse do? Because you have a bit on its mouth, or it doesn't always have to be a bit. It can be something strong around its nose as well. You know, the horse yeah. curls itself in and goes, Oh, yeah, well my nose or my mouth hurts more than mm. my pole, so I still do whatever I need to do with, I'm asked to do with my pole. Mm. But ultimately, you probably give the horse a hell of a headache. Yeah. And the other thing is the, um, if you will know that each muscle is basically um, enveloped in connective tissue or in fascia,
0: mm-hmm.
1: a bit like a sausage and a wrapper, Um, And and inside the muscle is a lot of fascia as well, a lot of connective tissue. And that connective tissue in that area of the pole is also um, immediately connected to the meninges of the brain. The meninges of the brain are the connective tissue around the brain, around the brain and inside Mm. the brain. So, given where the pole sits and how tightly yeah. it is connected to, the, yeah, exactly, yeah, to the brain. Can you just imagine the tension horses are in that have a tight pole?
0: That really having that visual. Yeah. Gosh.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, if you consider your most significant headache from a very very sore neck especially right up Mm -hmm. here against the base of your skull Mm -hmm. that would probably be something that i don't know might be akin to what the horse might feel and
0: it hurts into your eyes
1: headaches from slip discs in your neck or something with tight muscles in your neck that then radiate all over your skull and you know how grumpy you can get yes. when you have those headaches. Can you now imagine what a horse feels like and mm-hmm. what potentially that means if somebody deals with yet another difficult horse with behavioral issues?
0: Yeah, uh, it makes it's like well no wonder why, those horse and horses often spook at things, or yep. are difficult to bridle, or they don't like their face being touched, or mm-hmm. the whole list of things. Yep. Yeah, they've got
1: squinty little eyes. They've got this far away look in their eyes that they're not really participating in what you want to do with them. Mm-hmm. They just let it happen, but they're not really with you. All the all these things yeah yeah so yeah your 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 atlas is exactly at that spot
0: yeah Mm. Mm. wow so that is when you were talking about the dynamic muscles so so you said doing uh lots of breaks and letting them have their head also would it be like doing the little flexions from left to right would that help
1: with? Um, the, <laughs> that's, a, that's actually quite a specialized um, way of doing this. And, mm-hmm. and you mentioned little flexions because the paw has got two joints. One is the joint between the head and the first vertebrae of the neck. Mm. And the other um, joint is between the first and the second vertebrae of the neck. And these two joints have different functions. Mm-hmm. One's called the no the no joint and the other one's the yes joint. So one can rotate or go sideways. Yes. And the other one can more or less only go up and down. Mm-hmm. So if you now talk about bending, little bending things, you have to... Um, know what you're bending and you have to know when you know when the bending goes wrong. Mm. And it's also very important that any such bending happens with the neck as far open and stretched as possible Mm. because um, with anything, when you have joints coming together, you don't want the two bone ends of the joints being really stuck together before you then start to bend because that's not very nice for the joint so again if you have a horse that's really scrunched up already Mm. then just simply bending it is pretty bad i see pretty pretty bad yes so you want to elongate the neck first and then gently ask for this bending to happen yeah mm, yeah and not just sort of I mean I do understand uh, and I've seen it, and I see it with a lot of really good people that 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 uh, start young horses that we do this you know total bending of of the neck where they basically look back at themselves, yes. and I can understand that there is a need for it from a from a safety perspective-, mm-hmm. but I would certainly advocate to do this as little as. Possible. Yeah. As much as necessary, but as little as possible. Yeah. Especially in a young horse, because we also know that the neck vertebrae take a significant length of time to mature and Mm -hmm. some horses were talking five six years of age wow and then when you consider when people start to back horses this is a very very fragile area
0: yeah so we need to the
1: whole neck is a very fragile
0: Mm, it is we need to be so careful and thoughtful and educated on the movements that we're asking them for Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah that's that's fascinating so much to think about
1: <laughs> oh yeah
0: <laughs> that's right the more you know the more you do you know you don't know <laughs> that's right but but we owe I think like one part of me goes oh yikes like I don't even I don't even know if I should go and ride my horse today <laughs> like but then there's this other part that says no I owe it to the horse to spend that time educating myself because yep. I want to sit on his back. So I owe it to him to learn that.
1: Yeah. Mm. No, I, I, I totally agree with you there because, and also um, I think everyone, everyone that rides horse, no matter what discipline should learn these basics. They should yeah. know them for for the to maintain the welfare of their horse. So not just oh well, I'm not riding dressage, you know, I just I just do a little bit of hacking or something. Because the moment you hop in the saddle, your moment you hop on the horse's back, you mm. are starting to influence the way this horse goes. And mm. if you don't prepare it, you are actually You're having fun Mm. on the horse's misery. Okay, this is a very hard word. Misery is probably very harsh. At their expense,
0: but it's true. At
1: their (laughs) expense, exactly, because they are already starting to suffer Mm. a little bit right from the beginning. Mm. So that's why I think everyone owes – their horse because they want to you we're doing this not for survival these days we're doing it because we love it it's a hobby mm. well for some it's a it's a job but you know for most of us it's a hobby for people where when it's your job i think it's even more important Then you definitely should know but if it's yes. your hobby and you say oh, i do this for this for my fun mm-hmm. i want to have fun with my horse then please, please, please make sure your horse can have fun. Yeah. And doesn't,
0: right, and yeah. doesn't
1: actually, albeit in small amounts, suffer just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah.
0: No. That's great. I think that this is a good place to wrap up. I could keep on talking quite happily for a long time. <laughs> but I do have to go and um, spend the afternoon with my horses. And I'm sure that you have things to do as well. But
1: Absolutely.
0: before we close off, I like to ask um, guests, and I know we've probably answered a lot of this already, but because our podcast is called Working From The Inside Out, what does that mean to you?
1: Working from the inside out? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think what, what, what I'm doing here is very much working from the inside out. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> trying, trying to understand how the inside of the horse works so that if you work the inside of the horse correctly, the outside is looking more beautiful.
0: Yeah. That
1: that would be one way, and I suppose the other thing is from a personal perspective of the trainer, your inside is your knowledge. Yes, and you use your knowledge to express it outwardly with what you do with yours. Mm. So there you go. You've got both for the (laughs) person.
0: (laughs) That's right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Sabina. Uh, if people want to learn more from you, how can they find out more about your talks or, or anything that you do?
1: Yeah, I mean, they can get in touch with me via Facebook. It's probably the easiest. Mm-hmm. If they look for my name, Sabina Holler. And there's also there's my private Facebook page, and then there is one Facebook page I'm pretty sure it's called Techshare Talks, <laughs> so you can look for that and, and message me on that. And, um, heaven forbid, if you would be interested in Spanish horses, there's also a stud Facebook page that's called Hannah PRE Stud. So, there's three possibilities nice. to get in touch with me. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you, Ellie. It was lovely.
0: This podcast was proudly brought to you by Finesse Equestrian. For free videos and articles, head on over to finessequestrian.com. You can also find me on Facebook or YouTube under Finesse Equestrian Training or on Instagram under Ali A. O'Brien. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to subscribe so you are the first to listen in, to screenshot and share on social media, and rate and leave us a review, so you can do your part in helping us to reach more horses and people.